Warning. Project 1982 contains explicit language. So let's all hold hands, take a breath, and get strange. In a place outside time lies a mystical realm of sound and vision. A wondrous civilization. Where good and evil struggle to possess the dark crystal. In the first five minutes of The Dark Crystal, which I hadn't watched in a long time, I was dumbfounded. I was mm -hmm. floored with how meticulous it was. Mm. The detail into the puppetry, like you were just saying a minute ago, I, it's it's astonishing how good it is. I totally agree. And and so much on this show, we ask ourselves, like, why do these movies persist? Like, why are we still remaking them? And we rack our brains. But when you watch a movie like this, you're like, oh, I know why. It's because it's great. Hello and welcome to Project 1982. I'm Michael Schantz. And I'm Matt Aldrich. And this is the show that puts its hand up the butt of the movies of 1982. <laughs> that is a Perfect. Muppet reference. Understood. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. What are you people? On dope? I got nowhere else to go! I'm afraid! All right? He likes wonderful. Let's get, let's blow it up right away. The black man. Texas has a whorehouse in it. Now that penis had a moment. I'd recognize that penis anywhere. Fuck you two! You, go clean off my door. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Enough talk. Mike, we are talking today about some children's movies. Correct. I'm actually really excited. I love these movies. Yeah. Uh, we have The Dark Crystal. And we have the secret of Nim. Not they. They were not initially uh, financial successes, but they grew. Dark Crystal definitely uh, grew an audience. I was, yeah, I would say Dark Crystal. You could call a hit. And and these were not obviously these were not the only two children's movies made in nineteen. Yeah, there's the Last Unicorn. There's the Last Unicorn. There's a, a Japanese animated film uh, for the Wizard of Oz which is a really interesting yeah. watch. Um, and then in the live action space, we also have films like Annie. Annie, um, right. And, uh, and of course, E.T. Uh, but we're taking a look. I, I'm keen to take a look at these two because The Dark Crystal and Secret of Nim are both titles that have uh, stood the test of time and you know are either recently remade or actively being remade now. Which we've um, been talking and, about a lot. Yes. I mean, this these, again... These films are 40 years old, and they stand up. They're well-regarded. They're well-remembered. And there's enough there in the you know, mythology of the world that studios are now trying to you know, make a play for it. I think it was two years ago, uh, or 2019, or early 2020, uh, Netflix released... 2019. Dark, oh, yeah. The, the Netflix released the Dark Crystal series, um, mm -hmm. season one of that. And, you know, there's been a Secret of Nim 
prequel script that has been bouncing around for a number of years now. Well, and for me, I think the other thing that these two movies have in common is the like behind the scenes is the idea of sort of redefining what you can do with animation and with puppetry. Yeah, the, you the, know, respectively. Well, and they're new. They're they are new voices, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Don Bluth. This is his first film, and he'll go on to uh, continue to make animated films throughout the eighties and nineties. And he, there was there like he and some key animators and other people from Disney. They were called the Disney Defectors for having left Disney to do this movie. And what a time! Because one of the things that's amazingly absent from this list is a Disney film. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to imagine almost now because Disney animation puts out a film every year sure at the time though uh we were, we were getting a, re-releases a disney, it was a disney drought um uh-huh disney animation the year before had the fox and the hound in 85 it had the black cauldron and in 86 it had the great mouse detective these aren't seminal disney titles the, they're yeah they're, they're <laughs> they didn't hit the zeitgeist in a way that they, they kind of missed. And and look, there's four years between films, between Disney mm-hmm. films. This is really after the initial wave of, you know, great classic Disney films. And it's before the rebirth of Disney, which sort of starts in 1989. Starts with, with Little Mermaid. The Mer- Little Mermaid. Yeah. Um, and of well, course, see, but know, what I remember more than anything were seeing movies like, even though it's, you know, it's got both live action and animation, but I remember seeing Mary Poppins in the theater. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing 101 Dalmatians. I remember seeing The Rescuers. Uh, but a lot of these movies, like, I didn't realize when I was a kid, these movies had already been out. Yeah, that was their so game. So they were being just, re-released. That was that was Disney's game at that point, was right. for the years that they don't have an original feature film, they just re-release the classics. These were the outliers. These were sort of the the, the people outside the... The mouse ears trying to make a play. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, we have Don Bluth with Secret Onim. And then with Dark Crystal directing, we have Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Like, yeah. Again, when we, we, we keep talking about first ballot Hall of Famers, um, right? I, it's just like one after another. And that's, um, that's all three, right? I mean, all three of them, absolutely. All three. I of think them. it's interesting because the other thing that these two movies have in common is the idea that their creators clearly had an idea in their head that it's okay for kids to see things that are dark mm-hmm. and scary. I, I can't remember if it was, I think it was, it was Jim Henson who said that being scared is a healthy emotion. Mm. It's okay to scare kids. And Don Bluth had said, you can scare a kid as much as you want, so long as you give them a happy ending. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. Up until then, puppets were Sesame Street and Muppets, right? It was cute right. stuff trying to make you laugh. Uh, and then along comes this movie, this fantasy movie, where some of the puppets are downright terrifying. Sure. You know, you know the, 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 the villains are this weird cross between crocodiles and rats. Or vultures, <laughs> and, you know? They... Yeah, vultures, exactly. Yeah, they look yeah. like vultures. I also remember from Secret of Nim. I remember. I think that was the first time I had ever seen animated blood, and 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 that being so shocking to me. It shouldn't be shocking to I, you. You were going to every. Fucking I don't know terror. why that was shocking to me. 
I think the there was nothing I had that you Conan were protected from as a child. <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, why? <laughs> Secret of Nim. This was a summer movie, July 2nd. The week before was Blade Runner and The Thing. The week after was Tron. Wow, okay. Tron ostensibly is another sort of kids movie. It's certainly a Disney movie. Um, you know, but I, I wouldn't put it in the same basket as Secret of Nim, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, we're about a month. Oh, we're about a month since the the release of E.T., which is still sort of dominating the box office. Sure. You usually have uh, some of the the business uh, end of things. Uh, do you have any any sense of that for Secret of Nim? I do indeed. Um, I know we've talked about this a little bit before in the sense of, you know, it's kind of revisionist history in terms of Rotten Tomatoes. But this movie does stand at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. As we've mentioned before, it's directed by Don Bluth, who has done... So many things you know, An American Tale, Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Anastasia or Anastasia, Titan AE, and he even helped create the video games Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, and he is literally listed on IMDb as creating a Dragon's Lair movie this year. Oh, wow. Still working in his 80s. Wow. Uh, This particular movie had a budget of $7 million, an opening weekend of $386,000, but only made 14.6 in the USA and the world. It was one of those things where it built an audience slowly. Mm -hmm. And even though it says it, you know, doubled its money, I, I think there's some waffling within that because that might include like rentals i got the idea that this movie didn't become a true hit until it went to video i remember going i remember going to see this movie vividly i remember the exact movie theater we went to um i remember loving every frame of this movie well and i think it goes back to the creators and what they were saying about what you can do with kids i there is so much i greatly appreciate in The Secret of Nim, it's not ever dumbing down for kids. Mm. It started making me reflect on sort of all animation at that time, even Looney Tunes. There are lines in The Secret of Nim like, cast not pearls before swine and not for a king's ransom. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of language that you you wouldn't associate (laughs) with a kid's movie. It started making me think about watching Bugs Bunny cartoons in which Bugs Bunny is in the Sahara Desert or Bugs Bunny is in the middle of an opera or with the Knights of the Round Table. And you learned about geography and history and art and music through conscientious uh, adults making their art. Mm -hmm. I think right now what we're in the midst of within animation is we're it's far more about uh, your feelings. I think we're focused on emotions, and this has that plus everything else. Mm, that's Does that interesting. Make sense? I hadn't thought that. Uh, I hadn't thought about current animation films in those terms. Mm-hmm. But I think you're. I think it's an astute observation because, yeah, every every animated film really is trying to 
punch you in the throat at the end and really make you kind of tear up and yeah, have right. some kind of epiphany about your life and, and all of that. And I think that's a great thing to try for. And I don't, I, I, uh, I don't fault uh, animated films for, for, for doing that, but there is something um, about the secret of Nim. It manages to do that. I, I still feel like the ending yeah. is, is very emotional though. Like story math, it, it doesn't, it doesn't all add up. There's no reason why when she holds the stone and it, comes to life and she's right. like, it, it, it's like you just kind of go with the magic of the moment at that point like yes right there's no logic uh, there's no story logic at play there it's it really is it feels like a, a purely emotional moment here's the thing here's what I, I think if they if they remade this movie today and this might get to the point you're trying to make so tell me if I'm if I'm if, if I'm hearing you right okay if they made this movie today they would have a B story or some other plot of like the little kid who lives on the farm who oh, okay who manages to learn something from the mat the rats does that does that make sense like they would try to put a little kid in this movie for, out of fear that if there's no child in the movie children won't be able to hook into what's going on oh now that's interesting that's what I think that would be the error, by the way, of, of a remake yeah. of this movie. This movie right. has something uh, for this movie everybody. does something really astonishing, something that I really think very few animated movies do. This harkens back to our conversation about Poltergeist. This is another movie about a mom, you know? Yeah. And not a lot of animated movies are about moms. Yeah. Like are really given like the mom the story. The, the, the last Incredibles movie comes close to that, I think. But it's mm-hmm. it's there's so much else going on in that movie. It's really hard to it's it's easy to lose sight to of focus story. on that one thing. Yeah, this is really about like a mom is trying to keep her kids safe because the plow is coming. That right. is the entire story. There's there's not a lot of fat on that. You uh, as a little boy, I was completely identifying with this this mom. Like I Me feel too. like. Yeah, like you're 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 watching her and there's no barrier. There's no barrier between you. I'm not going like it was a good movie, but I didn't really understand what she was trying to do and you know, right. maybe yeah, when I'm really a mom, mom I'll understand it, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's I, I I and maybe we're talking about the same thing, but I think that is the mistake of animated films uh, currently is that they're always they 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 like have to be about uh, children uh, at the center, and I think that's so well. But I got a different sense too. I got a sense that if you were going to remake this movie today, it might take on the environmental aspects. What do you mean about that? The idea that the plow's coming and you're displacing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I mm. think they would make that more malevolent, and say more Monsanto as opposed oh. to. <laughs> You know, your 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 regular family just trying to, you know, tend to their field. Yeah. Uh, So to me, it was interesting watching all those animals get out of the area as the plow's coming. I had this real sense of, oh, my gosh, they all have to leave their homes and they're all frightened and they're all scared and we're all seeing their fright. Uh, And then you have this mom with a sick kid who cannot move her kid. Such a great plot. It's such a, it's so, it's so pitch perfect. Give credit where credit's due. You know, they did have a book. Yeah, right. But the book covers more than just Mrs. Brisby's uh, 
problem with moving the the family and Timmy being sick. It also goes mm-hmm. into great deal detail about what happened to Jonathan and his time at the at NIM where he was he yeah, and the other right. rats were experimented upon. So well, and it also do, it 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 does that thing that I think is also a problem with movies today because I've talked about this with Tom and other podcasts when you movies of this era, the eighties. To me, they're always so much better at exposition. Fifteen minutes into the movie, you know everything you need to know. Mm. You know, I I always use that first Superman movie as an example. Superman's in the spaceship and on his way to Earth quickly. Mm-hmm. When we get that Man of Steel movie, we're thirty-five, forty minutes on oh, Krypton. Really? Oh yeah, I've never it seen the Man lasts of Steel for. Ever. What I love about this movie is, and especially as a kid's movie, because the as a kid, you have to work a little bit. You have to understand that her husband's gone. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that there was reverence for him, but you, you're not sure why. And so, you know, it's meaning it's making you lean forward. It's making you think, what did he do? Why, why is he a hero? Why do the rats love him? What's going on? So to me, it's just good storytelling. It's far more interesting to let your audience think about and ruminate about these things as opposed to spending 40 minutes just showing it all to them. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know? creating a little bit of mystery Or rather, I, what I should say is telling them. Yeah. You know, this movie is showing you, not telling you. Yes, or, or you're... Um... They're not back backing the the exposition dump truck up to up to your exactly up to your right. place and 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 giving you everything you need. You're to You're finding and out little pieces, little nuggets as we go along, and you get to put the puzzle together. It's really kind of a it is a story. Now that I'm reflecting on it, it is a storytelling masterstroke because what's always hard in a in a in a movie is getting across exposition that your main character already knows. It's easy mm-hmm. if your main character is like a journalist who's like, now what's going on here and who are you? And we're like, you know, <laughs> right. then you can learn everything as your main character learns it. When the main character already knows everything about her husband and he died and all that stuff. Uh, but it, she doesn't know but about the, the rat's reverence. Yeah, That's the thing is that she right. only thinks she knows her husband. And so she is going on this kind of fact gathering journey as she's trying to mm-hmm. just just move her house. She's not trying to figure out what happened to her husband. She's just trying to move her family before the plow comes. And in so doing, she learns about her husband in a really profound way that he didn't die in vain and that he he actually died a hero's death. Um, Mm -hmm. Like all of these like really kind of big ideas come across. And again, like you're saying, it's not all in act one that you get this. Well, and let's not forget that we're talking still about 1982. So Don Bluth and the creators of these movies, granted, like you said, they have the book to rely on, but they cut the husband out. Yes. So they have a female, they have a woman centered as the hero of your movie. And how many 1982 movies are doing that? I'm telling you, it, we'll get into them a little bit when we start talking about the Oscar bait movies, movies like Sophie's Choice, right? Uh, movies like Francis, but there's not a lot. And certainly right. in like, you were talking about the top grossing films of the year, mm-hmm. not a lot. Poltergeist, I think, is the one. And as we said, like, it's kind of only secretly Joe Beth Williams movie in that. <laughs> right, right. Um, we don't have a lot of women at the center of movies, period. 
And then, and again, you look at the um, other animated films that are kind of around that. The, the list I read from um, from Disney, Fox and the Hound, mm-hmm. Pete's Dragon, Black Cauldron, Great Mouse Detective. You don't really even get a female character anywhere near those movies until you get to Little Mermaid. And that is obviously incredibly problematic <laughs> uh, I, female I, character. Well, and I Historically, t- well, I, she I, has not aged. Ariel has not aged well. Is right. I mean, you know. uh, but going back to Secret of Nim, what did you think of the uh, art and the look of it? I thought it was incredible. These, the, the animated pictures I'm seeing feel like a warm blanket. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a reminder of animation I grew up with, but also something different. I, if you were to watch The Secret of Nim, I'm not sure that most people would realize that you're seeing a different kind of animation that a lot of movies weren't doing in the sense of like there's multi-plane techniques, there's backlighting, split explosion, exposures. Mm-hmm. Don Bluth is doing a lot of things that are had not been done. And so he's sort of redefining animation, I I think, with this movie. Like on the fly. And it looks, in, yeah, and it looks incredible. I love that image of the warm blanket because there is something sort of gauzy about a lot mm-hmm. of the, um, a lot of the, like the background matte paintings and things like that. But there's depth. Yeah. It's always those little things that you, yeah, that are gone in a flash and you don't realize the thousands of hours that the, went into. Right. Or, and you also, and, yeah. you might not realize the emotional impact it also can have on you as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of a magic trick. Again, you talk about warm blanket. When I watch this movie and frankly, when I lo- watch a lot of old, older animated films, I start missing 2D animation. And I don't know if that makes me Yeah, old. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Because, like, so... As, as, like, as I'd be know, really curious to know what your kids think yeah. so, of like, that movie. My kids have been completely raised on CG animated films. Right. I think CG uh, ages a lot faster than 2D animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at you know, the original Toy Story or uh, Bugs Life or some of the early, you know, Ants. You look at some of the early animated films. Toy Story made in 1995. That looks older than Secret of Nim, made in 1982. Do you think that's just to us, though, or? I don't think so. I think my kids have a pretty good eye at this point. Because about... when I see The Secret of Nim, the word that comes to mind for me is timeless. I think that's I think that's the thing with with 2D animation. It's and it, frankly, it's the reason they can still release Snow White and people will yeah, go see right. it. There is something uh, ageless and uh, th- that defies sort of the laws of gravity about 2D mm. animation. It hits me in the solar plexus of, uh, but like in the best way, you know, know. just given uh, it, it's like a solar plexus hit of the warm and fuzzies. It is. And to answer your question about uh, my kids, they um, they sat and watched this with me. I could feel them getting impatient only because the pace of the storytelling was slower than what they're used, they're to. used to. And I okay. think that that, is, that happens no matter how old you are. If you start watching sure. movies 20 years before the when date you of do, your birth. Yeah. And so I, th- I just think they are attuned to a faster pace and certainly they're attuned to this is i think the more salient point 
They're attuned to animated films that are relentlessly trying to make them laugh. Yeah, right. And Secret of Nim has uh, no laughs. Well, I plenty should say. Of, well, no, there's plenty of humor in it, but it's it's not by design of uh, joke, two minutes joke, right? It's ninety not seconds a joke. Yeah, no. it's not a comedy. Uh, but that said, it's like they have the fool. They have Dom DeLuise as as the crow. And as again, Jeremy. talk about the warm and fuzzies. Just hearing his voice. See, I had I had a little different reaction with the with the crow this time, and I know I loved him when I was a kid. I was getting oh, a little wow. impatient with him. As my one, it's my one thing where I was like, I wish this was uh, uh, trying a little less hard. Uh, it just felt like I they think for me it's because of how of, uh, I've always revered Dom DeLuise himself. Yeah, and this was right in an era of sort of Dom DeLuise kind of at his height, you know. Yeah. He did a lot of animated movies with Don Bluth. Perfect voice for animation. Yes. If you remake this today, how do you do it? Knowing that they are. That's an interesting question. <laughs> What's that? I said knowing that they are, you know, that this Right. this project is uh, alive. So, I you know, for me, the I like the most interesting question in that to me is what do you do with the animation? Mm. Do you make it a, like a computer generated movie now? Is uh. is that not what they're going to do? And that would make me feel like a pang in my heart, like a stab in the heart that would really bother me. I didn't even think about that. So my first answer to that question would be I'd want to keep the animation like it was. You'd want to do 2D. Yeah. Then you would have to convince a studio to spend like to $80 let you million dollars on a 2D animated film. Right. I mean, God bless whoever's out there trying to do that. Um, you have big shoes to fill. This is a great movie. Oh, one of the best. And uh, let, let's switch gears. You know, when we come back, we'll get our puppet on and talk about some Dark Crystal. All right. Project 1982 will be back after these messages. About three hours after lunch, I get really hungry. Your stomach's growling and you're trying to get things done and, you know, your stomach's there going, feed me, feed me, you know, poking at you. It's so satisfying. And that gives your stomach something to do. Until you can have a good meal. Peanuts and peanut butter nougat, caramel and milk chocolate. Satisfying. Packed with peanuts, Snickers really satisfies. <laughs> what's it for? Hmm? Hmm? Is that what you want to know? You want to know what this is all about? Is that it, Gelflin? You don't know? You never looked at the heavens. Everything in the heavens is here, moving as the heavens move. This is how to know when. That's what. All right, Matt, Science let's uh, talk our next movie, The Dark Crystal. Love it. Directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Love it. Uh, as I, I, I recall this movie coming out, I believe it's uh, December 17th, 1982. It, it did. It, it kind of snuck in there right before the end of the year. Well, talk about first ballot Hall of Famers. I mean, Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets, 
he himself directed The Great Muppet Caper, but also Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And Frank Oz is what a what a career for Frank Oz, right? Because uh, he took the, a Muppet movie, The Muppets Take Manhattan, Little Shop of Horrors, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, What About Bob? Then movies like House Sitter, The Indian in the Cupboard, In and Out, Bowfinger, and then he does a movie like The Score, one of the great heist movies. I love that movie. It's such a great movie. It's funny, with everything that Frank Oz has done, he's also kind of known as the voice of Yoda. And Miss Piggy. What a fascinating place to, to start with this this particular movie, bringing these two men together to do what Jim Henson himself says he's the most proud of. Mm, I didn't know that. The kind of time it took and the kind of care it took. He said that this was more satisfying than anything else in his career. Uh, this movie sort of left me speechless when I watched it the other day. Uh, again, I hadn't watched it in many, many years, and there are parts I didn't remember. It's parts I, I could have yeah. quoted from memory, um, but uh, there were parts I didn't remember. What was amazing to me this time was seeing just the level of artistry, the, the, the sheer number of puppets, yeah. and, the, and the sheer number of the types of puppets, from right. tiny to a bigger-than-human size— the puppets that were clearly operated by one person, two people, three people, five people. It was like the, it, 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 it looked it's a, a masterpiece, which means. It, and not it, just that, but like well, how they like, bring like, that all together and direct it. Well, yeah. And direct it. And, so and, cinematic and co-write the screenplay. And, and all right. it's like like uh, it was it was watching somebody bring all of their talents to bear. And and all the people around them bringing all their talents to bear to tell this essentially really simple fantasy quest story. You know, I read a bunch of reviews of this movie from uh, when it came out because oh, okay. I was curious. Because uh, my yeah, it's not as was, high. It's seventy nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Well, and even in even in the original reviews, critics were super split about this. Mm. They obviously appreciated the. You know the art design and the and the and the and the puppetry and all of that stuff. A lot of them said the story never rose to the level of the art design. You know, oh, that's interesting. That it wasn't as complicated. Like it was too simple of a story for such a, a lavish uh, production. I didn't think it's too simple of a story, but it feels like a story we've. Seen. It feels very Lord yeah. of the Rings. Well, yeah, that was one of the reviewers said. It the feels exact like same it's thing. borrowing. But... Yeah, it said it was just sort of a watered down Tolkien. It's a it's a fantasy quest story. Right. Period. Like Tolkien didn't invent the fantasy quest story. Um, right. <laughs> this is a, the quest story is a story we've been telling for thousands of years. So, um, so I don't fault it for that. I actually really appreciated the simplicity of the story on this go around because mm-hmm. for me, it's like the story is sort of the 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 steel girders holding up the building. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so. It needed to be simple so that the rest of this stuff actually had time to breathe. One of the things that bothers me a little bit about uh, animated films, there's not a lot of puppetry films being made these days, but a lot of animated films I feel like are, uh, because it's a, it's a combination of the, the fast pace and the amazing art design that so often I'm watching the animated film and I just want it to slow down so I can appreciate how beautiful it is. Right. It's like, I don't want them to leave that set just yet because 
It's so interesting. And I want to. Because it looks amazing. It looks I want to <laughs> soak it in. Yeah, right, right. Don't run past that set. It really is a beautiful set. I want to spend some time there. And, uh, but they're like, no, because we got to get on to the next plot point. And then we got to get a complication. And this guy's got to betray that guy. And then we got to reveal this. And it's like, oh, just slow down. Yeah. Slow down. And that's what I loved about this movie. It slowed down. But is that down. us on our lawn? Is that us saying, get off our lawn? Like, are we. Yeah, are we. We can appreciate that, but like you were talking about in terms of attention span and like how much patience, say, your kids have as opposed to yeah. what we maybe wish they had or you know what I mean? Like if, if it is, then I say, get off my fucking lawn. Yeah, that's a hill I'll <laughs> die on, right? <laughs> I, that's a lawn I will die on. That is absolutely – I think – here. It, I just think there's, objectively speaking, there are diminishing returns when you have a fast pace and a beautiful art design. Like, yeah. if, if, if you put all of this time and attention to creating this world and then you just blur past it, what did you waste mm-hmm. all that time for? Like, slow down. Let's let, So, like, for instance, the scene that's popping in mind is the scene uh, where he meets Agra, sort of the, uh, the, 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 the blind seer. Uh, who gives him the shard yeah. of the crystal so that he can go on his way. Though He meets her at the end of Act 1 and sends him on his way. And he goes into... Well, <laughs> blows him up on his way. Well, he, he goes into... like they, they sort of reveal her home in stages and in layers. And you finally get into sure. sort of the inner sanctum and she has this giant astronomical model, this big kind of uh, a steampunky looking... Uh, model of the universe moving around and around and around and it's amazingly designed it's so cool it's so cool looking it still looks cool and your main character thinks it looks cool and he wants to look at it and you're just enjoying it (laughs) and you're spending time with it and then what they do is they have to keep the story moving and they have to he has to be kind of chased out of that place but, in, but first he finds the shard. He finds the shard and he does all that stuff. And then they have to chase him out of the place. But they they do it in such a way where they still have that chase take place entirely within that room. On, or on and, and literally on top of the machine or the on steampunk top of the machine. kind of machine. Exactly. Got, he uses it to escape. Yeah. Exactly. Like he he they they double down on the set as opposed to running away from the set to get to the right. set where the chase is going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. In an effort to sort of keep packing art design and sets into your show, they would they would they would overdo it um, now mm-hmm. in a in a scene like that. And in this case, it was like, it was built. Everything was there. Yeah, Again, like, right. That was so amazing to see. It was kind of like when we were talking about Creepshow. We were talking about, you got to tip your hat to, you got to tip your hat to- the cockroaches. To, to the cockroaches, to 10,000 cockroaches. You got to tip your hat to that because the look of having 10,000 cockroaches on screen You're is never going to duplicate it using CGI. Yeah. Ever. And this was, I had the same feeling here of like- yeah. Everything was practical. Every, every bit of it was real. Well, and not just that, because I started to wonder, did they build it twice or at least sections of it twice? Because for the moments where the puppets would not be able to move in the way that they wanted them to, they would dress up actors. Yes. For the long shots. For the long, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they would have like, I don't um, know if they were kids or something. They, they, no, for the I long think they shot. used... 
I think that because I think they used almost every actor from Time Bandits. Oh, really? Yeah. Even though you can recognize when it's happening, it's happening so perfectly that you're inspired by it as opposed to take being taken out. Yeah, weird, right? Like you, you yeah. knew it's this. It's this. This is one of the reasons why I love puppetry so much because, and it happens on Sesame Street, and it happens on the Muppets. You know that it's not real, but mm-hmm. something in your brain just goes, "Yeah, but I want it to be," <laughs> and mm-hmm. and you you, <laughs> right. you 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 build a bridge, and you cross it, and you're there in that reality. Right, and I just don't. It, for me, I, it does the, the CG just doesn't. I it doesn't quite trigger the same synapse for me. Well, in this movie, because uh, because what we're speaking about must have played on audiences as well. Because on a budget of fifteen million dollars, this movie far outpaced Secret of Nam, an opening weekend of four point six million. This is kind of interesting in the USA. Forty-one million six hundred thirteen thousand in the world. Forty-one million six hundred thirty thousand. But this is the sixteenth-highest-grossing movie of nineteen eighty-two, and I found this interesting. It received a BAFTA nomination, but no Oscars. Yeah, how this movie sneaks by the Academy Awards is beyond me. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think puppetry is kind of the movie business's three-toed cousin or right. something. Like they just they don't want to talk about it. But again, like Secret of Nim, some of my notes have to do with there's actual loss, there's turmoil, there's darkness, there's, you know, there's genuine fear generated for the characters. For, I mean, for the audience through the what the characters are experiencing. There's even you you remember that moment when in the with the Skeksis, they have the uh the triumph or the the battle by stone? Yeah, the trial by stone. Ooh. Yeah. And when, it's a good scene. It's a great scene, and then, but when they when they strip that skexy, yeah, like the, the humiliation of it. Yeah. Oh man, it's, it's by law he started, must pay. You know, there's only nine of these yeah. fuckers even <laughs> living in the no, world. That's what I, was so, <laughs> I think I think what what I was experiencing through that scene because I, I wasn't I wasn't totally remembering how it went. Uh huh. And so the Chamberlain. The emperor dies. The Chamberlain, Chamberlain makes a play and steals the emperor's scepter. Right. Another another Skeksis goes for it, and and, and the Chamberlain says, uh, "I challenge." Right. Uh, or or the other Skeksis say, "I challenge," and this and the Chamberlain says, "I accept trial by stone." And they go trial by stone. And I and I was thinking in my head, are they gonna? Like, I couldn't remember. Are, do they have to like? joust each other like right is this gonna get like murdery right now i couldn't no, remember they... either because they started like at first their swords hit each other and then he poked him in the chest yeah. and i and that was the one time where holding those huge kind of sort of broad swords clanking yeah. against each other where i thought oh i hope this fight doesn't go there because it doesn't look quite as good in the puppetry it's a little right. clumsy Right, right. I, I started to get worried yeah. that I was going to have to watch puppets do a sword right. fight. And I was like, this is going to look clunky. But I think that's the, that was what I say. Like, this is such a masterpiece because they knew what they could exactly. and could make look right. great. And so they, they went back to the story and said, what's more interesting? What if they took turns whacking this, you know, piece of, of onyx or yeah. whatever it was? First one and that's to, the to chip a piece. Stone. Yeah. And so, again, like, the they... They crafted the story to take to fit the more their interesting needs. route. Right. 
Yes, to fit their needs. And then when he loses, oh man, I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, they're gonna kill him. I was like, but that's gonna look weird again. Yeah. And then, and then, and again, the story they said, well, what if we, what if we accept our limitations and instead make the story? They got to strip him naked and send him off into the wilderness. Oh my god. <laughs> And when he's just sitting so there leading against, it's so terrible, leaning against that rock, stark naked, breathing heavy. Oh, such a it was such a better story choice. Yeah. To strip him down naked and send him off. And then obviously the story takes advantage of that. And then he spends the rest of the movie trying to get back in and, right. and take the throne for himself. And so he becomes this really a pivotal um, character, kind of a conniving Shapeshifter, yeah. trickster that that the that the that the heroes encounter on their quest. So I, you know, reading some of these early reviews about the simplicity of the story, I'm like, fuck you. There were some really good story choices right. being made. Right. It's like I get it. Like, uh, you're the one. You know, prophecy says you're the one person who can, you know, take the crystal and put A into B and save the world. I, I get that as being kind of boilerplate, but. Beyond that, the uh, uh, sort of the metaphysics at play of the two halves right. of the creatures being split, and then this is a story about them becoming one again. Mm -hmm. The uh, the fun that is had with that character of Agra, who continues throughout the like, yeah. she doesn't just show up and no, go away. Yeah, she, She's, right. she plays into all three acts of the film, and she's a, a fantastic voice actor. And that's Frank Oz. Really interesting puppet. Yeah, it, it, that's what yeah. I mean. Like, like, like the like the voice talent uh, is is spot on, and and then you get uh, uh, a really fantastic looking puppet as well. Right. Um, you know, warts and all. Like, I, like there's nothing about this film that's trying to be cute, except, except maybe the dog for Fizzgig. Fizzgig. Yeah. He is the he is the uh, he is the cute thing. This is a a term that w I was working with Angus McLean uh, at Pixar a few years ago, mm -hmm. and we were dissecting a lot of films, and we identified this trope that we started to call the cute thing. And the cute <laughs> right. thing is in a lot of movies, and and they follow certain rules, and you can have a good cute thing. And a bad cute right. thing. Like, there's, <laughs> there's a right way to do the cute thing, and there's a wrong way. Uh, R2-D2, great. Great, great cute great thing. Cute yeah. thing. E.T., fantastic cute thing. Uh, Fizzgig in this movie checks all the boxes for, for a cute thing, mm -hmm. which is to say he's cute. Funny. But he's also got a dangerous yeah, side. Yeah, right. There's a little bit of danger to him. He doesn't speak words, uh, but he communicates with people. He still sure. gets his point across. Uh, you don't know if uh, it's a kid or an adult. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> neither. And uh, uh, most importantly, uh, unwavering loyalty uh, to the ones that he right. loves. I don't know why these are the rules, but these are the rules. And so I was so delighted even to see a, a smartly to see it done right. cute thing. Yeah. Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> Terrible right, cute thing. exactly. He's sort of the straw man for the cute, for the bad cute <laughs> thing. But like, if you want to learn every, if you want to see what it would be like if you make every mistake possible. That's Jar Jar that's, Binks. That's Jar Jar Binks is the unsuccessful cute thing.
But so, yeah, all this is to say, like, I, I read those reviews about the simple story and I, I, dis- I just disagreed. I call bullshit because there are so many um, amazing uh, intricacies to the mythology that they were creating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- I mean, just in random places, like when uh, uh, when Jen first meets Kira. Right. And she helps him up out of the bog and their hands touch. Oh. And they... The sort of... They, they, they launch into this sequence yeah. where they share their childhoods with each other telekinetically. Yes. Like... <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, simple story? Are you fucking kidding me right, right now? Like, that scene, that scene is beautiful. It is weird and it is beautiful. It comes out of nowhere, but it totally works. Yeah. And you get why they're friends for the rest of the movie. And not just that, but but their emotional connection becomes your emotional connection as an audience member. Totally. You, know? you see them both You're, as these like, little rescued linked. orphan kids and... It had an economy to right. it, yet it seemed like, where was this coming from? And how did they do this? And But she was like, look, we're dreamscaping yeah, exactly. or whatever she called it. It's something, it's like, something okay. specific and, to Gelflings <laughs> that they can right. do. And I'm like, okay. You're like, okay, sure. great. I didn't watch Emmett. My younger son came in through the second half of this film. Not even the second half, like the last third of this film. He's peeking in through the window right now, looking at me, wondering what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, so he came in uh, as I was watching this movie. He came home from school uh, and uh, and sat down and just watched the end with me. And and it, the thing that was remarkable about it was he didn't ask what was going on. Mm. Like, he didn't ask anything about the story. Uh, he just came in for the third act. He sat down. He watched it. And when it was over, he was like, that was cool. <laughs> Like, like, that's awesome. Like he, he, he wasn't, um, there was nothing about it that, that put him off or that made him like groan or like say like, Oh my God, this looks so old. Yeah. You know, like the way they always do. Um, I'm having a really funny time with Emmett right now. This is a bit of a digression, but bear with me. Please. Um, he's started to become like really, um, adventurous with movies. Oh, that's cool. If, that, if that's the right word, if that's the right yeah. word for it, he's become very open. Right. And I think part of it is he wants to spend time with me. And so I'm watching a lot of movies. And so he, you know, wants to sit and watch them with me. And I came, I, I sort of uh, uh, had this idea over the summer because he had, I could, I, I could tell that when he, when we were watching movies that were made recently, like kids movies, animated movies. He was doing this thing where as soon as the movie would start or like 10 minutes in, he would turn to me and tell me exactly how it was going to end. And he was right every time. <laughs> like, he's so hip to the formula. Wow. That that I started thinking like, I want to show him just like other things. Yes. Yeah. Things that don't comport to this formula. So <laughs> this summer, 2001 shows up on my phone. Oh, okay. And I kind of, I've seen it a few years ago. I'd seen it. They re-released it in the I watched it in the theater when it came so, out a few years ago. Yeah. Oh, it's, amazing. It was amazing. Because I think that I, was the I, first I time alone. I was able to see it in the theater, if I recall. It definitely was for yeah. me. Yeah. So, but I, I sort of scrubbed through it in my head and I thought, all right, there's nothing bad in 2001. <laughs> I'm going to just put it on while he's with me. I'm just going to put it on. And I did. And he was like, what are we watching? I was like, just watch the first part with me just watch the first half hour right and he's like okay you know just the dawn of man and so we we watched dawn of man and then 
I turned it off. And, and he, was, like, like no questions, no, he just watched it straight through. Nope. He just watched it. That's great. And, and, and then, you know, and it hard cuts to outer space. Yeah, and right. so he knew it went to outer space. And, uh, and I was like, okay, we're going to stop it here. And I'm going to, I'm going to watch a little bit more tomorrow night if you want to watch with me. So over the next four nights, we watched all of 2001 together. <laughs> wow. He was all in. He was complete, like, and we talked about it. Like, we'd watch it. We'd go to you know, do the bedtime. And I would kind of explain some of what was going on. And I would, every night, I'd be like, and wait until you see tomorrow. Because it's going to get even weirder. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're going to go <laughs> to a space so hotel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's going to get so weird. I'm not even going to be able to answer your questions after a certain point. Right. You're going to ask, I told him, I said, you're going to ask me what's going on. And I honestly don't know. So are you ready? Right. Let's watch. Buckle this. in. Buckle in. <laughs> so all, all this to say, like, I, 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 I'm seeing in him, he's 10. I'm seeing in him like a, a desire to see things beyond yeah. this formula that they're being kind of fed over sure. and over and over again. And then for me, like the other troubling thing about movies now, and especially kids' movies, is that they're so designed to be sequelized and to sort of, right. you know, the, sort of the MCU of it all and how that has bled over into all facets. I feel like very few people are making like self-contained movies anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, they're making properties. Ma- it's a shame to me um, because I, I see it in my own kids that there's a desire to get beyond the, the formula. And, and so looking back at some of these movies like Dark Crystal and Secret of Nim, I feel like we knew how to do that. We had movies like mm-hmm. this. And we're just get we've gotten away from them. Project 1982 will be back after these messages. Barbie Dream Cottage. Company's coming, Barbie. Let's open the sun deck. Here's the new Barbie Dream Cottage with furniture. Your parents have to put it together. Angel Face Barbie doll sold separately. Look at all this room. I'll open the sliding doors. Send up the barbecue stuff. Looks like fun. Am I invited? This is the Barbie Dream Cottage with furniture. Angel Face Barbie doll sold separately. New from Mattel. Like like watching these two movies feels like unearthing bones. Yeah, they they feel. But the excitement you would have as a kid unearthing dinosaur bones you know like the, yeah. you know what i mean because they're that good these two movies these are some of the favorite uh, out of all the things we've watched on this project uh, these are at, right up there yeah at, at the, the top. top i it's one of the reasons i'm so glad we're even talking about it for the podcast because people mm-hmm. should know we're it sounds like we're here already let's talk salt yeah here we are Just leave it in the cupboard <laughs> Can we just say that? Yeah. Do we even have to go through I mean, the seriously. the? Uh, do we have to go through the ceremony? I don't think there's a grain of salt that you need no. for either of these films. No. So we're done talking I about mean, salt. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, you know, like for for the movies we've been talking about, f- for as as often as we have had to say. Well, whether like let's just say that it, it's a 1982 movie, so it comes with a 1982 right. grain of salt, and then from there we'll talk about it. And you don't have to do that with these movies. 
You really and it's don't. lovely. Like I said, like it's a it's the feeling of the warm blanket. It's just thank you, Don Bluth. Thank you, Jim Henson. Thank you, Frank Oz. I appreciate you <laughs> completely. These are uh, 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 this is uh, you said it. Th- you said it a while ago. You said it was this was time well spent. Yeah. You know when we when we talked about Poltergeist, you described that as time well spent. This the both watching both these movies was time well spent. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I, I will say this: in editing the last episode, in trying to get that Super Smash uh, remix of all of the terrible things that Doctor Jan- Daniel Chalice says. Right. Um, I had to actually rent the movie again <laughs> to do that. <laughs> That's how deep my, <laughs> still my resentment goes. I was like, I'm going to see that resentment and raise it $3.99. Three more dollars? Three ninety nine. Four more dollars. Shit. Four more dollars just to... It was like I it, it was like I crossed a busy street to go put my cigarette out on the face of Daniel Chalice. <laughs> that's what that's what it felt like. It's perfect. It was an expensive uh, expensive <laughs> idea. That's great. <laughs> that is great. All right. All right. All right, I think we're done here. We've done it. Let's do and no and no episode is gonna be complete without my uh, insulting Halloween three one more time. <laughs> Project nineteen eighty two is a production of the Everything Sequel Podcast and was produced by Mike Shantz and Matt Aldrich. Original music by Emmett Aldrich and Murphy Aldrich. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Run for your lives, it's moving day.